Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Well, this morning we are doing something different. We are going to have four preachers for you this morning. Yes, four preachers but one message. I think it's so important that we uh, develop preachers. It's through the preaching of the gospel that people get saved. And we have incredible people who just love God and they've got a passion to preach and they just want to preach. And so I thought it would be great that we would have, you know, ones that are younger than myself to come and share God's word. So this morning we're going to have uh, Christina, we're going to have Alex, we're going to have Pastor Randall because he's filling in for Matt who is very sick at the moment. Matt was going to speak and then Jackie's going to finish off the message this morning. So would you welcome Christina as she comes and shares God's word. Well, good morning. Good morning. So we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of John this morning. And so the first thing we need to remember is that John tells us his purpose for writing this Gospel. So in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So Jesus is sharing his personal stories with us, this time he spent with Jesus and the miracles that he witnessed for the specific purpose that for those of us who were yet to come, that we would actually believe. And so we now find ourselves in John chapter 6 and we are starting from verse 22. So the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realised Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. So this passage speaks of the crowd. The crowd was looking for Jesus, they couldn't find Jesus, so they went in search of Jesus. This crowd is the same crowd, or at least part of the crowd, that had just not only witnessed, but had actually participated in the feeding of the 5,000 men. This is the same crowd that Pastor Ken spoke to us a few weeks ago, the crowd that was following Jesus because they saw the miraculous signs as he healed the sick. This is the same crowd that the disciples had actually wanted to send away before the feeding of the 5,000. The same crowd that Jesus had compassion for and who he fed. But then the same crowd that Jesus actually did send away to their homes. And yet here they are still seeking him. And when they find him, what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus admonishes them. His response is interesting. But in verse 25, we find they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
although the crowd was looking for Jesus, it's almost like they didn't actually expect to find him. There'd been one boat. The disciples had got into that boat. Jesus had not. How did Jesus get here? And of course, they knew nothing of the night before when Jesus walked on water and calmed the storm. But Jesus ignores that question. Because by this time, I'm wondering if Jesus is a little exasperated by the crowd. They're following him to see more signs, more wonders, but they don't understand the spiritual significance of the miracles that they're actually witnessing. They're only looking to the physical benefit that he can provide. Jesus fed them, and they're looking to be fed again. So in verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of God, the Son of Man, can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. So there are actually many theories about crowds and the behaviours of crowds. Have you ever heard of crowd mentality? or a crowd mindset? Well, crowds have traits. And here's a few, and these are ones that I particularly love. They can be excessively emotional. They can be impulsive. My personal favorite, they can be fickle. They can be inconsistent, extremely suggestible, hasty in judgment, only capable of simple reasoning, devoid of self-respect, and have no sense of responsibility. Some would even suggest the behaviour of a crowd can be childlike. I'd even go as far to suggest perhaps toddler-like. And I've known and I have seen crowds like this, and you potentially have as well. And I think this explains some of the behaviour that we're seeing with this crowd. Because Jesus is saying to the crowd, stop following me because I fed you physically. I want you to look a little deeper, I want you to grow up, and I want you to try and understand what just happened from a spiritual perspective. Stop focusing your energy on things that don't last. Look to me and seek the eternal life that I can give you. But at this point, the time, the crowd just couldn't move past their physical hunger for food or for these miracles. But here's the thing about crowds. In the end, the crowd doesn't stand before the Lord, giving an account for its life or the work that it has done. You, as an individual, does. The crowd doesn't get to stand before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You, as an individual, does. So Jesus sees through this crowd to the individuals. So he takes the time with this crowd so that even just one would come to understand his purpose for them. And the crowd won't be there when you need it the most, but Jesus certainly will be. And so the, here's the question, and I'd love you to say it off to me. Why do I follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Well, the crowd followed Jesus for the satisfaction of their physical needs, to be fed and to be healed. And these are absolutely genuine needs that Jesus wants to fulfill for us. 
But he also wants to offer us so much more. He wants to meet our spiritual needs. He wants to meet our eternal needs. So again, let me ask you, why do you follow Jesus? Is it because of what he can give you physically or what he can give you spiritually? It's a question that we all need to be able to answer. And the reason that you follow Jesus now might not be the same reason as when you first followed Jesus. The crowd started to follow Jesus because of the miracles and the healings that he performed. But he wanted them to mature and to understand what they were witnessing in a spiritual capacity. But they never did, as evidenced by their next statement. But actually, before we move to their next statement, I think we need to have a look at how NIV writes Jesus' words in verse 27. So verse 27 in the NIV says, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus references works. So perhaps the crowd's next words actually do make some sense because they say in verse 28, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And when I first read this, I thought that the crowd was saying they wanted to be like Jesus, that they wanted to perform miracles as well, just like Jesus. But again, I think the wording in the NIV offers us a slightly different perspective. So if we go to the NIV in verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And although, again, I think the crowd has still missed the point that Jesus was making, they seem genuine in wanting to follow Jesus. They seem genuine in wanting to understand how they can actually have a better life. But their focus is again on what they can do, not on what Jesus will do for them. And perhaps it's not surprising given their heritage of laws and rituals. They're not the first people to ask this question of Jesus. They won't be the last people to ask this question of Jesus. And we all want to know what it takes to have a better life. But Jesus has just said that he will give them food that endures to eternal life. The miracles they witnessed were more than just to feed or to heal people. They were to point them to Jesus himself, the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus is the end goal. And so in verse 29, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe, have faith, It is the only work that God requires from you. No more striving, no more works, no more rituals, no more commandments, just one thing. Believe in Jesus. And here's the thing, the crowd might have missed the point and we'll soon see that that made them turn away from Jesus. But in fact, John is writing this so that we would believe the people who came after the crowd would believe. We now have the benefit of Jesus' interactions with not only this crowd, but many crowds. And so we can see the miracles of Jesus for what they were. These miracles were just as much for us as they were for that crowd. They would help us to continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, 
we will have life by the power of his name. You are not called to be part of a crowd. And this morning, I want you to be clear why you follow Jesus. Why do you believe? Because believing is the only work that God requires from you. So why do I follow Jesus? Well, I follow Jesus because someone shared the message of Jesus with me when I was young. I follow Jesus because he protected me when I was travelling a wide path to destruction and the path of the occult. Because he showed me there was a different way and a better way to live. Because he saw me in a crowd, but he spoke to me as an individual. I follow Jesus because I believe that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, that he died on a cross for my sins so that I might have an eternal, personal relationship with him and with the Father. Let me ask you again, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? And as you reflect on that this morning, let's see how the crowd responds to Jesus as Alex comes to share. Hello. We'll continue in verse 30. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they asked, Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So as we heard from Christina, the crowd demanded a sign from Jesus before they would consider believing in him. But not only that, they actually had the audacity to give him a reference point for what kind of a sign they wanted to see. They referred to the manna, the bread from heaven that God had provided to their ancestors, the Israelites. The fact that the crowd demanded not just a sign, but a sign comparable to the one their ancestors had received from God, highlights two important points. And the first one is that the people expected God to work in the same way as he had in the past. In fact, the people speaking with Jesus would have done well to study what had happened with their ancestors when Moses attempted to make God work the same way twice 
by striking the rock and providing water for the people who were thirsty. The first time God told Moses to strike the rock so that water would pour out, and he did, and the water was provided. The second time, God told Moses to speak to the rock, but Moses tried to take control of the situation as the leader and instead struck the rock like he had the first time. The water was still provided. God still provided for his people. But as Moses didn't trust him, God told Moses he would not lead those people into the promised land. Moses had tried to manipulate the situation the second time round to follow the same procedure as he had the first time. But God had had other plans. The crowd speaking with Jesus in John chapter 6 were in fact trying to do the same thing. Not only did they ask for a sign to believe, they wanted to see another thing happen the same way as it had for their ancestors. But God does not always do things the same way a second time as he has for us in the past. This is true for you and I today. Our walk with God is about trusting in him, seeking him, and asking him to work in our lives, not about doing what we might expect him to do or following a procedure in order to make things happen the way we think they should happen. So what was Jesus' response to this? He distinguished what had happened in the past to what was going to be happening now by saying in verse 32, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus was showing them that what he had to offer them was not just physical bread, but true bread that gives life. Which leads to the second point. As Christina said, the people were focused on the earthly things, not spiritual things. By asking Jesus to perform a sign like the provision of manna from heaven, they displayed a narrowed focus on only the physical, not the spiritual. I've read a lot of commentaries on these scriptures in preparation for today, and some of those even accuse the crowd who asked for this sign simply of asking so that they might actually have the bread. They didn't care about the sign. They didn't care about believing in Jesus. They just wanted a feed. And yet Jesus took what had happened with them, what they asked for, but he used it for a different intention. He used that opportunity to take what they had asked for and teach them what his true purpose was in verse 35 by saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He outlined to the crowd his true purpose by actually comparing himself to the manna provided from heaven. The manna came down from heaven with a particular purpose to feed the people physically in their time of need. Likewise, Jesus was brought down from heaven by God for a particular purpose, this time to give life to those who would believe in him. So what can you and I take away from this? Firstly, we need to trust God and not expect him to do things the same way as he has previously in our walk with him. Our walk with him is about relationship, about learning, about praying, about thanking him, and not about following certain practices or patterns or trying to achieve a desired outcome. 
We also need to recognize when God is working in our lives, answering our prayers, but doing so in a way that we might not expect to happen. Is God answering your prayer, but just not doing it the way that you thought he would? Is God answering your prayer in a way that achieves more than what you've asked him for physically in order that you might grow in your relationship with him? What have you prayed for recently and expected to happen? Has God done something different than you thought he would, but was still answering your prayer? And secondly, we need to train ourselves to focus on the spiritual and not the physical or the natural. Our walk with God requires us to renew our mind and God requires us to set our mind on things above. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 prayed and asked God to remove a thorn in his side. Yet God's response was for Paul to grasp that his grace was sufficient. What things have you prayed for that God does not seem to have answered? Is it possible that God has something more important for you in that situation than for that situation to just change? Perhaps God is using that situation as an opportunity for you to grow in your faith, in resilience and in your confidence in him. James chapter one, verses two to four says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Although the things that you and I pray about or the situations we face concern things in our everyday natural lives our walk with god to overcome those things and to achieve those things provides an opportunity for spiritual growth that god does not want us to miss out on we will now hear from randall about what the crowd speaking with jesus decides to do next thank you alex good morning everyone how are we going the first thing i want to address is that i'm not matthew in case you were confused by that. Unfortunately, Matthew is not well this morning. He's actually watching online, so good morning, Matthew. Hope I do you justice. Uh, there'll be no maths uh, analogies either, which Matthew was going to bring, So, because I'm not very good at maths, clearly. And I hope my presence still means this will be an awesome foursome, not a tremendous trio plus one. So, The next passage of John 6 uh, that we're going to investigate is actually quite complex. And there's lots of things that I could talk about but in following from Chris and Alex, I want to focus on the crowd. I want to focus on how they respond to Jesus and their reactions to what Jesus is teaching. And in particular, I want to look at, in this section, the attitude of the crowd. What is their attitude towards Jesus and what he is saying? As Jesus tries to explain who he is, where he has come from, and what God requires of those who seek him. So we continue the story in verse 41. It says, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, only I who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. 
Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. The first attitude we see is grumbling, complaining. It's murmuring in disagreement. It's even a kind of petulance, as you expect from a toddler. Jesus tries to explain that he is the bread of life. This is because it's in response to their bringing up of the miracle of the manna. They're the ones who brought bread up, so Jesus simply uses terms that they're familiar with. They wanted a miracle associated with bread, so Jesus talks about bread. So he responds and talks in their terms. He talks about life-giving bread. It was actually Moses who foretold in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 that there would come a prophet like himself. Moses said there will come a prophet like me. And so the people are obviously asking for bread, like Moses bought bread. But as we found out, as we know, it wasn't, wasn't Moses that provided the bread, it was God that provided the bread. So the crowd asks for a miracle. They demand a miracle. As Alex points out, they're simply seeking the physical. They just want to feed. And they completely miss the spiritual significance of what Jesus is saying. So what's their response to Jesus? Grumbling, complaining, disagreement, murmuring amongst the crowd. At this point in time, Jesus is doing all this in the synagogue at Capernaum. And it's not until Jesus claims that he is from heaven, that he is God, that the crowd turns on Jesus. I can't help but think that the teachers of the law, the leaders in the church at the synagogue, are the ones who are turning the crowd against Jesus. As Christina said, the crowd is easily swayed, easily influenced. Because only when Jesus claims that he is from heaven, that only he has seen the Father, do they turn on him. Dissension begins. So to continue in the same vein as Alex, I'm going to ask, what is Jesus' response? What does he do? He says this, stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop it. Cut it out. Just quit it. It doesn't get you anywhere. How easy is it, or maybe it's just me, to find yourself in the crowd at the moment? Have you ever grumbled against God? Have you ever complained about your circumstance? Have you ever been frustrated that things aren't going the way you wanted them to? Christina said the crowd is like a child. And trust me, this might surprise you. Children can be known for their complaining at times. I know, you're shocked. Even my children can grumble. Shocking. I know. But the truth is, grumbling, complaining, it doesn't get us anywhere. We just end up in the same place, more frustrated and with less patience. So Jesus tells them to stop. If you find yourself complaining, grumbling about your situation, stop and listen to Jesus. What does Jesus do? He goes back to teaching them, revealing that God is seeking to teach us. He wants to draw us to him through his word, through the truth, so that if you hear the truth and you learn from the truth and you understand what God has done for you, then you will turn to Jesus because you understand what has happened. If you understand what God is trying to show you through his word, you go to Jesus. God is seeking to teach the crowd. 
despite their grumbling, in spite of their complaining. And so he goes back to their own analogy. He goes back to the bread of life. When Jesus calls himself the living bread, he's not saying that he is just like the manna, as a direct comparison. He is saying that he is greater than the manna. He is greater. He is more. As Alex explained, the manna, God sent, sustained them for a while. Every day manna was there. It sustained them for that day. But Jesus, this living bread, gives life to the whole world. God gave his people manna. It was a gift. But when God sent Jesus, he gave himself for everyone, for eternity. We can grumble like the crowd. We can complain like the crowd. But all God wants for you is to come to him and understand that he has given you life, life in abundance, life eternal. The second attitude I want to talk about is that of struggling. The crowd sought to fight with Jesus, to struggle against instead of hearing what he was saying. And in rejecting Jesus, they unwittingly consigned themselves to a life of struggle, which I'll explain in a minute. In John 6, verse 52, he says this, Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestor did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. The crowd shifts gears. They don't relent. As Christian talked about earlier, they're truly seeking Jesus, but they didn't get it. So they move from complaining to arguing. They don't relent. They shift gears up. They're arguing in response to Jesus' words. This is simply another example of what Alex said about the crowd only seeing the physical and not the spiritual. For the Jew, as for anybody really, the idea of eating one's flesh and drinking one's blood is kind of gross. I get that. It's divinely prohibited. Of course it is. They took Jesus' words literally, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They completely missed his meaning. Jesus was simply trying to say, just as when we eat food and drink, it becomes part of us. We take it within us and it becomes part of us. In the same way, we must receive Jesus, invite him in and he becomes part of us and we become part of him. That's all he's saying. Inviting Jesus in. Some people read this and they believe that Jesus is referencing communion, the Lord's Supper. But that is not the case. Firstly, this occurs before the Lord's Supper happens. The Lord's Supper hasn't been instituted yet. What we call communion hasn't even started yet. And secondly, and most importantly, for us and for the crowd, Jesus is talking here about a single act that ensures that we remain in Jesus and he in us. It is an act that gives us eternal life. And we know as believers, as followers of Jesus, 
that our salvation is not dependent on how many times we take communion, is it? Communion is not required for us to be saved. Jesus is simply speaking to the crowd and speaking to us of accepting him as our Lord and Saviour and persevering in our faith. As Christina reminded us, John's purpose in writing the gospel is that we would continue to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. So Jesus gives us truth. That if we accept Jesus and invite him to live within us, we will remain in him and he in us. Such a powerful message for those who seek to follow God. But the crowd has the wrong attitude to Jesus. The crowd moved from grumbling, complaining, to struggling against the truth that he was teaching them. So where does that leave the crowd? Without salvation. They are destined to struggle in trying to be good enough for God. They are stuck in a cycle of works. Wanting their works to earn them salvation. A life of struggle because we can never ever be good enough to be saved. Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All we can do, all that is required of us, is to believe in the one he has sent. All we can do is believe in Jesus and follow him because he is the bread of life. What is your attitude to Jesus? What is your attitude to Jesus? As the crowd tried to process what Jesus was saying, they ultimately turned against him and each other. What will you do? When things are confusing, when the circumstances of life are hard to understand, when the way forward isn't clear, will you grumble? Will you complain? Or will you listen to him? Will you let him speak to you through his word? Will you trust in him? What will your attitude be? Will you struggle against him? Or will you let him in? The attitude you choose is up to you. It is your choice. Now we're going to continue in John 6. We're going to find out what happens next. I'm going to invite Jackie to take us to the next section where we look at those who follow Jesus and what their response to him is. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Pastor Randall. Boop. Good morning, everyone. Let's finish our final passage for this morning. I'll read John 6 from verse 60. Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining again. <clears throat> so he said to them, Does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. 
Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. We might scoot past that part today. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. So this morning we've been following this journey of faith. We've been following this journey of the followers of Jesus. And that sounds really nice, followers of Jesus. We're all followers of Jesus. No, 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 these were people literally following Jesus around. Like he would teach them, they would follow him. He would teach them, they would complain, they would continue to follow him around. He would feed them, they would ask for more bread, they would follow him around. They worked out which boat he couldn't have got on and then they go across a boat and they go follow him around. Like they are literally following him around. Next level followers of Jesus. And just thinking about this stresses me out so much. This is an introvert's worst nightmare. Day after day after day, just crowds of people following you around forever, complaining forever. It would be like being at the Eka, but worse. Because not only are you in a crowd, but that crowd is complaining about you to you. I just, I cannot even deal with this. Just thinking about that fact alone is so upsetting. And I just, I can't even deal with it. But, you know, let's park that issue. That can be Shane's problem later. So anyway, we are following this crowd, we are following their faith journey. And as we've heard, they weren't a great audience. A lot of grumbling, a lot of complaining, a lot of arguing, and a lot of questioning Jesus and his authority to teach. So by now, I'd be very annoyed. And um, they just keep trying to get, just try to keep getting stuff from him. But as has been pointed out this morning, Jesus allows them to go through this process. He allows them to question him. He allows them to experience his miracles. He tells them to stop complaining, but he allows them to spend time with him to continue to teach him. He allows them to go through this process and this journey of faith. But now we come to this final passage and that process has to stop. We're at a point now where the process has to come to an end and some decisions need to be made. And this is exactly the same in our own lives. Jesus will allow us for a time to go through this journey and to go through this process. He will allow time for us to ponder, to argue, to question, to experience him, to hear his voice, to question what he's doing in our lives. But we all come to this moment where we have to decide whether we're gonna believe him or not. And I think it's easy for us to look at this passage of scripture and think, well, silly them, they wouldn't believe in Jesus, but it's all good because I'm a Christian. I go to church on a Sunday. But if we go back to verse 60, 60, it says that many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? It's the people who had already decided to follow Jesus, the people we call his followers, the people we call his disciples, these are the ones who are getting ready to desert him. And they're getting ready to desert him, not because they don't believe in him, but because they're unwilling to accept the next level of faith he is calling them to. Unfortunately, we can't just scoot by this passage of scripture because this passage of scripture is about challenging us about how do we respond to our next step of faith. We believe in Jesus, but Jesus is placing a demand on our faith to go deeper with him. And how do we respond? 
Christina challenged us to answer the question, why do you follow Jesus? Alex challenged us to answer the question, what are your expectations of Jesus? And Randall challenged us to answer the question, what is your attitude towards Jesus? And now we come to this moment of decision and the crowd is there and they ask themselves, how can anyone accept this? But the crowd is asking the wrong question. Jesus never, under, never asked them if they understood what he was saying. I don't think he's actually that worried about it. The only question Jesus asks his disciples is, are you going to leave me as well? Or in other words, Jesus is asking, are you going to stay? And I believe there are some of us in this room today and we're waiting to understand Jesus before we believe him. We are waiting to understand what God is doing in our lives before we're willing to accept it. But Jesus hasn't asked you whether you understand him. He hasn't asked you whether you understand what he's doing in your life. He's asking if you'll stay with him. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes that the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. That means without faith, it is impossible to understand God. We need faith, which can be as small as a mustard seed. And when we choose to put that faith in God, we can then position ourselves to receive revelation. And it's only through that revelation we can truly understand God. We may be waiting to understand God before we believe him, but we're actually meant to believe him in order that we might understand. And just like that crowd, Jesus is taking us all on our individual journey of faith. And up to this point, we may have been going through a process of confusion, of doubt, of questioning. But we've now come to a moment where we, where we need to decide whether we believe or not. We are all facing something that requires a greater demand on our faith. I believe there's people in this room today and God has asked you to start a business, but it seems a little bit too scary and a little bit unrealistic that Jesus would actually help you make it successful. We have people that God has asked us to believe for their salvation, but the way their life is at the moment, it just doesn't seem possible. There may be some of us and God has asked you to stay in your current job and you are hating it, like proper hating it. But you know, God has told you to stay put and persevere. Maybe God has asked you to step up your generosity towards someone. But it's a bit hard to believe for his provision. Maybe God has made you a promise about having a spouse. But it doesn't seem possible yet. What is it for you? What is your next step of faith? What is it that God is calling you to that places a greater demand on your faith? We've gone through the process, but now it's time for us to make a decision. And we can be like that crowd who says, this is too hard to understand. Why could I accept this? Or we could be Simon Peter, crazy Simon Peter, who says, Jesus, where else would I go? You have the words that give eternal life. I know you are God. This morning, I'd like to invite the worship team to come and we're going to end in a song. And um, I just wanted to give a moment for us to reflect on what we've heard this morning. 
and if there's anything that is really grabbing your heart at the moment. Maybe you need to think about why do you really follow Jesus? Maybe like Alex said, you need to think about has God already answered your prayer but you just don't recognise it? Or are you waiting for him to answer your prayer in such a specific way that you may miss what he's doing in your life? Maybe Randall's challenged you this morning about your attitude towards Jesus, about the grumbling and the complaining while you wait. Maybe God is challenging you to take a specific step of faith and it's time for the process to be over and it's time to say, Jesus, I believe and I'm going to stay with you. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.